peer mentoring becomes important because sometimes you need people who work alongside you to like tell you listen and like to be encouraged kind of laterally I think that's such an empower a powerful part of kind of your work life and then I think you know reverse mentoring but it's this idea that you know leaders can learn from their juniors and people can have really frank and candid conversations with leadership around what it is that isn't working and maybe what some of their opportunities for growth are in terms of how they manage and how they you know foster cultures within teams and I think especially for the DEI space that's huge. Hello and welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast, a podcast all about Irish innovators and entrepreneurs. I'm your host Dave Byrne. Hello and welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast. And in this episode, we speak to Gemma Allen, who is the Vice President of B2C Technology at IDA Ireland. Interestingly, we don't actually talk a lot about the work that she does at the IDA in this podcast. We we touch on it at the start. What I found really fascinating and inspiring about Gemma was actually her advocacy work. She does a lot of thought leadership related to women in tech, workplace culture, and the future of work. She's a contributor to Nasdaq.com, for example. She's a board member of NYC Foreign Trade Commission, and she's a member of various industry bodies and forums such as women in tech industry. So I found her passion and commitment to really amplifying her insights and knowledge in these areas and also supporting others that are facing challenges really really fascinating so i hope you enjoy this podcast as always like feel free to email hello at digitalirish.com if you have any questions thoughts or ideas after you listen to this but i'm going to drop you right in it Gemma, thank you so much for taking out the time just for the folks who may not be familiar with the IDA. I would love for you to just quickly give us an overview of what you're working on right now and your role at the IDA. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really honored to be a guest. I love this podcast and love the work of the Digital Irish. Um, so my role at IDA. So IDA is, in essence, the economic development arm of the Irish government. We manage the FDI mandate into Ireland. So we're really trying to partner with global multinationals and have them grow sustainable and scalable economic development from Ireland. So really, I guess, you know, what that means is grow and scale large teams and grow large kind of European sites. Um, my role specifically is in the B2C technology space. So I had the B to see tech portfolio on the east coast of the USA based in New York and um, that's a pretty uh, big and exciting portfolio and that is quite mixed because the term B2C technology obviously is you know multifaceted so I would work with some very large you know um, fortune top 500 companies in the media platform consumer space and then also some kind of growing fast growth technology companies too who are essentially looking at the European footprint and I'm basically responsible for trying to hustle them to do this in Ireland. I also manage an existing book of business too, where a number of clients that have operations in Ireland, and we're just trying to always maintain relationships with them and continue to position Ireland as like a favorable location for future growth. I love that. I mean, it's hugely important work, especially for, you know, not just 
growing the businesses, but also, uh, as you say, like working on getting that investment into Ireland, which is always fantastic to hear as an Irish person, of course. Um, <laughs> but for, for you, like this is such a fascinating role. How did you find yourself in New York City at the IDA? Yeah, so I wouldn't say it was like a completely linear path to this role. Um, you know, I guess a little bit about me. I grew up in Cork City, um, uh, kind of in the Black Rock Man area. Um, I'm the youngest of a big family. I have five siblings. And, you know, I like just really like normal upbringing. We didn't have like a computer in the house or anything like that growing up. Um, but like most people my age, I think. But, uh, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do in school like right throughout secondary school I really hadn't a clue um what I wanted to do in college I think a lot of people you know are like that and I think there's no real harm in that either um but I did an arts degree in University of Limerick and following on from that did a master's in Smurfit and then got a job at Microsoft Ireland and had like a really kind of mixed uh group of roles really at Microsoft I worked in kind of technology and then Windows kind of on launch readiness stuff, um, launching Windows basically to like really large global um, top volume OEMs, so hardware manufacturers, and then worked in kind of sales and marketing division for Microsoft Ireland in the consultancy space and the services division. Um, and really, I guess, you know, just wanted kind of like, you know, to do something exciting. And I loved the idea of kind of, you know, basically a role that was as patriotic as the one in IDA. So uh, I actually applied for the job in IDA the night before I flew to Rome for my wedding. I saw it advertised. Somebody contacted me to say, listen, she see this job, this looks great and it's New York based. And I always wanted the opportunity to live in the US. Um, and I was like, wow. And it was really kind of like a last minute thing. I saw the job, put in the application, went, went off and got married. And then while I was on honeymoon, actually was contacted by the IDA to interview. So it was really one of those kind of, you know, unexpected like life events. Um, but I just from the moment I started engaging with ID in the interview process, I really loved everything about the job. You know, I just thought, wow, this is like an incredible opportunity to like work with some really, you know, leaders of industry, meet some incredible people and do something that really has like social impact for Ireland, which I think is really special um, and really, you know, valuable. I think in terms of the work that we do at ITA. So yeah, so really, I suppose, you know, it was just kind of a mixture of working my way through different roles, kind of understanding what sort of things kind of excited me, what gave me energy, what trained my energy, and then seeing an opportunity and genuinely just kind of grabbing it or, you know, going for it. I think that's just a really nice lesson uh, for a lot of people, especially, you know, now when many people are we're in the middle of the great resignation and people are thinking about the next step in their career and you know seizing the opportunity and that's a great example there of you seizing a, gr a great opportunity there and and going for it i love that <laughs> you know one thing as you know as we were talking before and i even see even on your linkedin like you you're very clearly about uh, not only working on the IDA front, but you're also very clearly passionate about supporting women in the tech industry as a whole as well. Um, how, like, is this something that you started focusing on early in your career? Uh, and was this something that you 
wanted to proactively engage on from day one? Or was this something that just came about as a result of your experience uh, working in the industry? You know, I would say I'm passionate about women in general. Like I'm definitely very passionate about women in technology because I think it's such an important space and there's so much opportunity for women. And I feel that there's not enough maybe understanding around that. And I think there's a lot of information gap that we could address. But, you know, in terms of advocacy in general, um, I, like I said, you know, I actually started out in my career thinking, you know, I wanted to maybe be a social worker. When I was in my arts degree in UL, I did a lot of social science related topics and did a lot of work with uh, St. Vincent de Paul and different kind of groups that, you know, work within the community. Um, and I myself was actually an access student at UL. Um, I don't know if people are familiar with the access program, but it's a program that really targets, you know, young people in schools across Ireland, specifically in DESH schools. So schools that have like a lower socioeconomic um, base ranking um, and, you know, tries to encourage them to continue at third level. And I did a lot of work with access throughout my time at UL um, and was very, very grateful to them for you know, all of the opportunity that that afforded me. So, um, and then to some of the community work I did, I could really see like, wow, there's like a really great opportunity here for like businesses to have a broader impact. And when I started working at Microsoft Ireland, I got really involved in the CSR work and Microsoft Ireland had like a big mandate around that, you know, because of the size of the site and I guess the value that they can bring to local community and national communities. And I just loved that work. Like genuinely, I it was one of those jobs where I was like, I would do this for free. You know, I loved the idea that businesses can really like bring resources and funding to community type activity. And then, you know, saw like lots of problematic areas too that, you know, within kind of society that really need a bit of help. And I think women and the role of women in business and in technology specifically really stood out. Um, we would run different programs, you know, when I was at Microsoft Ireland around transition year uh, opportunities to come on site at Microsoft and different things. And I could just really see that, you know, young girls maybe don't have the same belief or, you know, or maybe the same access to information um, that maybe some of their like male counterparts do or did at least back then. So, um, so yeah, I just thought it was like a really important space. And for me, with you know, somebody with absolutely no technology background or experience to have landed in the opportunity I did, I was like, wow, if I can do it, like anyone can do it. So, um, so yeah, so I think that kind of was like what really spurred me. And then, you know, as I kind of started to grow my network here in New York, especially in the work I do now, where I work a lot with CTOs and C-level people who are making decisions around, you know, footprint and scaling and different kind of strategic business decisions, you again kind of can't but notice that these rooms are very male dominated. Um, but there's so many like incredible women, you know, that could just really rise up and I think do more. So I suppose I just started engaging with different women in technology groups um, and just different networks and forums throughout the last maybe four or five years in New York, I think becoming a mom as well kind of really spurred me on a little bit to maybe do a little bit more. Like I have two little girls myself now. So um, so that really, you know, was kind of a motivating factor as well. And then I just kind of saw that the more you engage, the more people are like eager to engage with you. And then, you know, 
through the kind of IGA network and through the, I guess, exposure that we get, I got some really great opportunities to, you know, do some writing on this topic and, you know, just kind of share some of my own experiences as well as highlight some of the kind of industry knowledge that we can bring. And that's just been like really, you know, incredible. So, so yeah, I think it's a mixture of kind of like passion and opportunity, you know, coming up in the right way. I love that. And you mentioned the writing piece. I saw that you're now a contributor to NASDAQ as well, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, um, and that's been like a really uh, exciting opportunity for me. I actually always loved writing. Um, you know, I did think for a while when I was in secondary school that maybe I'd like to pers- have pursued that. But, you know, I kind of, like I said, I just hadn't a clue what I wanted to do, but I love it and I find it to be very therapeutic. Um, but I also just love content. Like I love reading. I love researching. Again, it's one of those things that, you know, it's a side kind of a side opportunity that I have. Um, I, it's, not, it's not my day job. IDA is very much my day job, but writing for NASDAQ as a contributor is something I started in March and it's something I kind of do in my own time. But I really enjoy it. You know, I don't find it to be work. I like just love the opportunity to learn about things and again to get to chat to people too because you know when you're reaching out to people and saying hey you know I'm writing a piece for Nasdaq and I'd love to talk to you obviously people are always more than willing and I just love that side of it I love learning about all of the great things that are happening you know to try and encourage a better world and you know kind of social impact that maybe I didn't know about before myself so yeah it's been great. Do you know what? I'm I'm exactly the same about this podcast. Like it's one of my favorite things to just chat to like interesting people or folks that are doing things that I'm interested in. And it's almost like, hey, if people other than me find this interesting, that's almost like an added bonus to it, you know? Yeah, totally. You know, it's a good- human connection thing, like, you know, it's just so powerful and you just feel so it just gives you such a positive you know, rush, I think when you like have, you know, when you talk to people and learn about, you know, what they're passionate about and what they're doing. And you realize that like, God, there's so many people in the world with so much will, you know, um, I think that's, that's really just like a really powerful thing. I love that. And it really does seem that that kind of seems to be a, a common theme between your work at the IDA writing for NASDAQ and also your advocacy. It, it seems to be very people driven. Um, just generally from everything that you're saying there. Yeah, I love, I always loved that side of, uh, I, I always love that side of life. Like I'm definitely quite an extrovert. Um, I, I'm one of those people that like, likes walking into a room where I know nobody, you know, I kind of get energy from that. And I know a lot of people kind of struggle to believe that that's that, but that's the truth. Um, I just love, you know, the kind of connection side of business. Um, and again, you know, just like the power of community too, really like being able to, I guess, connect people and connect opportunities. And especially for Ireland, you know, to be able to like work in a, in a role that allows you to make connections and opportunities for people back home. Um, that's just incredible. Like it's so, so motivating. You know, I think, and I think a lot of my colleagues at IDA you know, I think really are just so great at that and work so hard, you know, in like a, for the good of kind of, you know, the better kind of impact of the country, essentially. 
I love that. And I can hear the passion coming through as you're talking there, which is uh, fantastic. Um, but like, honestly, though, you're working at the IDA, you've got, you know, you're right for NASDAQ, have this advocacy work. I imagine there's 101 like vital tasks on your radar 24-7. How do you manage uh, the the workday? Like, how do you manage the the priorities? <laughs> Well, the two biggest taskmasters in my life are probably my two little kids, you know, like I have a five and a two year old. Um, and I sometimes joke that like going to work or going to anything is like Sesame Street sometimes compared to being at home with the two of them. So, um, you know, uh, but I, I would be really honest about this and say, like, I would definitely not say I'm a poster child or a poster woman or mom for balance. Like, it's definitely a struggle. And, you know, it's something that I'm coming to get better at. But I'm definitely like a long way off having kind of striking that balance, I think, between home and work and, you know, extra kind of passions, etc. Um, like this morning, actually, I was dropping the kids to school and I was at a, a crossing, you know, on the road in Brooklyn. And my daughter was like, I was on my phone checking a work email. And my daughter was like, go, go, go. She was like shouting at me, like my two-year-old. And I looked across and the lollipop lady was like shouting at me too. And I crossed the street and she was like, you know, was that really that important? And I was like, you know what? She's so right. It really wasn't. So, um, you know, there's kind of that side of things too, right? That like you just get kind of all consumed by by work sometimes. And you are that kind of scatty. I, I feel like I am that scatty mom, like on my phone, you know, sometimes when I'm with the kids, etc. Um, so that's hard, you know, and my husband, like, you know, he works full time, too. And he's always been like a great supporter. But I think having him, you know, kind of like be such a like equal has been really important for me, um, because otherwise I don't think I would be able to kind of take on any extra kind of passion projects or anything like that. Um, but I think when it comes to your work life, like, one thing I've definitely learned is you have to be more selfish with your time and you have to, you know, think about, you know, what's really serving your kind of goals. I think earlier on in my career, definitely I would waste so much time, you know, because I had a lot more time too, I suppose, in many ways. But you have to kind of make more selfish decisions and that can be really hard and you have to set boundaries as well. Again, which can be hard. There's a lot of this Right now, there's so much kind of discourse out there about setting boundaries and minding your mental health and all that. But that is so much harder than it sometimes reads, I think. So, um, so yeah, so I would say, you know, what I've kind of learned is I just have to like really plan my week, be a little bit selfish about what I'm working on, how I'm prioritizing my time, you know, and then be real with myself too, you know, um, about, you know, how the week is going kind of try and check in with myself a little bit like this morning when the lollipop lady is you know <laughs> giving me that kind of like judgmental look because she's right you know so um so I wouldn't say I'm the expert on that Dave but I would say it's you know it's kind of a work in progress for me you know I, I think that a similar story of the the kids I've heard so many times like um you know a, an old manager of mine once told me a story of like he uh he was going to bring his kids to the playground one weekend and the kids apparently turned around to him and said, no, we don't want you to bring us because you're always, you're always on your phone. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So, and he had this <laughs> moment of like, oh, right. I may be there, but I'm not present kind of yeah. thing. 
And I mean, my five-year-old would definitely say to me now, you're not listening, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, she's right. You know, um, so as kids get a bit older too, you have to be really con- you know, cognizant of like you're, the impression you're leaving on them, right? And the kind of, you know, example you're setting for them. And I do think we're so consumed by like work and our phones and lives are so busy and we're, it's so interconnected. It's hard to switch off, you know? Oh, yeah, God, I feel for him because I definitely can understand that. Oh, 100%. And, you know, like as we're talking about this, I, I kind of go back to, you know, your advocacy work as, as supporting women and uh, so, uh, like in tech. And, you know, I imagine that these are also conversations that are going on through your advocacy work as well of like how, how you know, find balance and, and, you know, find the opportunities that they want to work with without like burning themselves out or, you know, uh, letting the important things go in life, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, you know, I'm in a number of like women, women in business, women in technology networks. I was actually in an event this week um, with Chief New York, which is like kind of an executive forum for um, senior women. And this was like definitely a key topic, you know, it's just around, how you know obviously there's been so much talk of late around this great resignation and or the great reflection or the great whatever it's been it's been renamed 20 times but I suppose at the crux of it is this idea that you know people and particularly women are exiting the workforce you know and that the pandemic was like very impactful in maybe helping people weigh up their kind of personal and private lives and you know I think it is a real problem and I think what what I kind of heard and what I kind of see sometimes, you know, is that women and the kind of role of women in in business has been very focused on access and getting people in the door and giving people opportunities. But I suppose access isn't inclusion. And as, you know, business environments, you know, go through times of stress and different, you know, examples like the one we've just had for the last two and a half years, you know, making sure that people who are part of that, are included in the right way, you know, and that their kind of values are being met is like really, really important. And I think a lot of women perhaps feel that that's just not happening the way they'd like it to, you know, and I think that was like very evident from some of the events I've been at of late where people have talked about their reasons for scaling back or taking a pause or whatever, you know. Um. So yeah, so uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a tough one um and there's no quick fix <laughs> like everything but yeah. but yeah you mentioned something quite interesting there which is about just the fact that a lot of businesses almost seem like oh we just need to need to get them in the door and that's about it but clearly there's a lot more support and and um you know resourcing that's needed to support not just women in tech but minorities in tech as well and and in business but so what kind of misconceptions do you see businesses and managers getting wrong about supporting women and minorities in tech and in this? My God, I mean, there there is a number of them, I think. You know, again, the whole access is not inclusion is a really important message, I think. Um, you know, and then I suppose, you know, there has been a real impetus on imp- increasing the ratio of women in tech and women in business right which I think is really really great but there's also been some un you know maybe how do I position this right some not so 
good messaging around you know how that's been landed you know so things like positive discrimination and some of these kind of different metrics that have been you know expressed as like a key imperative for the business they think they have an impact on people coming in you know like the whole term token female if I hear that one more time this year I'll scream you know and, and actually much to my shame I found myself using it myself you know um and you know so even one of my colleagues in in New York corrected me one day he was like you're not talking female you know but you it almost becomes like self-perpetuating a little bit because you know you kind of hear the, these words and then you kind of start to joke about it and then it becomes you know but it's it's damaging to your value and your contribution and it's damaging when it's used you know across any kind of organization but unfortunately is kind of a kind of a side murmur I think that happens quite a bit so I think really you know what's gonna what what companies are doing and, and what they could be better at I think you know getting people in the door is like imperative and then making sure that when they land in organizations that they have the best possible experience that their value you know is kind of described in the best possible way you know and that they're made feel like they're part of of a team and you know given the right resources the right mentoring, the right, ad, you know, sponsorship. I think all of that is like so key. But I think sometimes as well, you have to remember, like, and especially in tech, I suppose, companies are so busy, they're scaling so quickly. You know, as you know yourself, Dave, like things are happening so fast that maybe there isn't like enough time given to like really understand how the value proposition of the business is like connecting back to the values of the individual, you know, and um. I think that's, you know, essentially kind of can cause burnouts and things. A quick pause in today's podcast because we want to hear from you, the listener. We are constantly trying to improve the Digital Irish podcast. We want to make it more engaging. We want to make sure that we're bringing in the best guests. We want to hear your feedback, advice, and tips for future speakers and interviewees. So please email us at a hello at digitalirish.com if you have any suggestions for the show. Also, if you yourself are an innovator, an entrepreneur, or feel like you have something unique to say, please also reach out to us as well. We'd love to hear your story. That's hello at digitalirish.com. Now back to the interview. This idea of like, well, whether it's a self-perpetuating thing of, of feeling that you are the token person in the room or the, the other horrible output that happens of uh, when things seem to be implemented incorrectly, where others feel that you are the token person in the room. Yeah. Um, like, like these seem to be drawbacks of when businesses uh, often don't implement these kind of strategies of making people feel like that they belong or, or feel like that they're connected. I mean, is this something that you've heard of a lot? Like, is this something that's quite. Yeah, I that, think it's... that these, these drawbacks are there. Yeah, I think so. Like I de like I said, I definitely think it's kind of a term that floats about. I think it can be used in a jokey setting sometimes and like, genuinely I've seen women use it I've used it so I think that's problematic in and of itself um but yeah I think that you know it's really down to messaging I think and 
and time too, you know, and, and allocating the right kind of resources to how how people are, you know, integrated into organizations or how people's growth trajectory is kind of managed within organizations. So I think having like the right sponsorship and having managers that really do a really great job in communicating and messaging well, I think that's hugely important. And also, I suppose, like asking people to like check themselves, even in like a joke setting, because I think Irish people as well, like, you know, we definitely do that a lot. We're quite we have a lot of self-deprecating humor. It's part of our who we are. And I think it's actually in a lot of ways great because it's banter. It's funny. But I think sometimes in work settings, it can be damaging. You know, yes, a joke here and there is all well and good, but don't do it at the expense of your own self-worth kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I actually I love banter and I'm definitely like, you know, have a lot of strong views on like, you know, revisionism and cancel culture and all that, because I just think humor is so important in your life. And I, je- I really believe that if you like, I'm definitely someone who in my life have had so many moments of if I don't laugh right now, I will cry. You know, that's like kind of almost a philosophy. I have to live my life by a bit. But um. But yeah, but I do think banter is great in the workplace and I think it's great, but I think you need to kind of maybe just be careful that, you know, when you have self-deprecating humour, that it can maybe undervalue you a little bit, you know, and that it can become a little bit like self-perpetuating, I suppose. Um, So I just think it's something to maybe, maybe check in on, you know. That's very, it's such a, like it's something that I hadn't really thought of before but now that you bring it up like you can definitely tell that I mean it's just it's almost like the death by a thousand cuts it's like if you're joking about it after a while it would probably just start wearing you down kind of thing and like you'll almost start believing the jokes or kind of participating in them at the expense of somebody else and I imagine that you know for for you know you and in these networking groups like you've it's probably as much as a jo- uh, banter may happen and jokes may happen, like those groups often are a support network. They're for people to kind of be inspired by others. So I imagine that a lot of that is also trying to make sure that others are lifted up by participating in those groups. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and um, I think as well, you know, when these are groups, there's often a lot of as well, like, you know, mom jokes, <laughs> you know, um, which is good too. It's funny and it's, you know, it's humorous, especially like woman to woman, et cetera. But I think what we probably need to do more as women is maybe big each other up. You know, I think that's really what needs to happen <laughs> to, you know, see our, see progression. I think we kind of really need to start advocating for each other and trying to encourage each other to advocate for themselves how again going back to like how businesses can plug into this like from your experience is there anybody that's uh like the work of raising women in tech or women in business well at the moment is there or are there any examples of initiatives that you feel like have really raised the bar on making sure that women feel included and heard in their in their roles I mean, I think there's definitely a huge drive amongst, you know, most companies 
to improve the kind of status of women in their organization, right? So I can't, I, you know, I, I would struggle to point to any company that isn't trying, you know, like, so I think that's really important to call out. Um, in terms of companies that are doing it well, you know, obviously senior leadership appointments, I think are really important because there's definitely the whole, you have to see it to believe it culture. Um, you know, I think that's so true. You need to have role models and you need to have people that inspire you. So, um, you know, having kind of a better ratio at kind of a leadership level, I think that's really, really important. In the technology space, having female CTOs, I think that's also, you know, a huge win because it changes kind of what has been kind of a bro culture in tech somewhat, you know, having a female at the helm and, you know, just gives, inspiration I suppose to people across the organization as well and changes the face of tech which is really really important and um, I think also where companies are doing you know some really great work is where they're like partnering with you know academia and schools and you know kind of really trying to like help with their own you help by using their own resources and industry knowledge and just currency to kind of you know in an interventionist kind of way to kind of bring young women along. And I think when, as a woman in an organization, you see companies doing that, it's it's uplifting, you know? You're like, they believe in the future and they believe in a balanced future. So I think that's really important too. You know, in Ireland, there's this group called Irish, which is kind of run by Caroline Driscoll from Deloitte. And it's basically a forum that was set up around encouraging girls to think about STEM in secondary school. And it was first this really large conference you know, that kind of happened once a year, but it's kind of really grown to like more than that and partner with a lot of companies locally in Ireland, globally, I guess, really to just, you know, bring that kind of value around, you know, how it is that the opportunity that young girls can have and to try and sell that a little bit, I think, at kind of secondary school level. And I think companies that partner with groups like that where it can kind of seem almost like baby steps, but it's so, so important. I think that's like a really great measure of, you know, how you how how you think you're going, you know, or where it is you want to go. So, yeah, so I think social impact side of things, both kind of helping women within your organization and then looking at ways in which you as an entity can do more in the community. I think both of those things are like very positive. You've brought up a, a great example of like, you know, going into secondary schools and starting the work there. Oftentimes I see a big focus of like existing diversity and equity and inclusion initiatives seem to be around recruitment and retention. But should should businesses be thinking more about the community element and focusing on early education and and really starting having conversations about STEM opportunities earlier and earlier? um, so that, you know, it, it kind of raises a tide all around. Um, is that something that they should be thinking about more so? Like, absolutely. <laughs> I like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make that or I couldn't agree more that that's something that they should be doing, especially when, you know, you have, you know, specific kind of industries that carry a specific image, right, like technology or life sciences or financial service or whatever it might be. And there has always been a face of that, you know, and something that, you know, when you're kind of a young, you know, girl or boy, you know, in school, you kind of associate with the particular, like, you know, 
type of person. Um, you know, I think that the world's changing so much. There's been so much convergence across, you know, technology, you know, life sciences, like everything is really like, you know, diluting in some way. And it's all becoming like one really large ecosystem, you know, that there, there is no real one career path per se anymore. So like having a really broad understanding of, you know, what the base skills are and what the kind of transversal skills are for young people, you know, and what it is that they need to do to, you know, maybe get like the right, I suppose, entry points into, you know, broader industries. I think that's really important, but also I think highlighting what a broad industry is, as opposed to this idea that, you know, if you want to work in technology, you have to get an A in maths or you have to be great at science or, you know, whatever the, you have to, you know, do all science subjects for your leaving search or whatever those misconceptions are, because these industries are just changing so much and the world's changing so much that you need to prepare people for, and kids and young people, you know, for a very, you know, transformative world. So I think that's hugely important. And I think industry has a huge role to play in that, you know, and maybe highlighting some misconceptions, helping people to kind of access the right information, to understand what a broad career could look like in any one industry. I think that's like really, really, really imperative. Let's just say hypothetically, in the next five years, Ireland becomes a leader in this, like as in, you know, we're, Ireland is, is renowned for making sure that that education and those opportunities and um, that kind of uh, training to, for younger folks to be able to adapt, pivot and understand the opportunities ahead of them. Like what needs to happen for us, uh, for us to realize that goal? I think it needs to start with intervention at school. I think there needs to be, you know, the right path set out for young people. There needs to be the right access to information, the right kind of role models. And, you know, I think teachers and, you know, members of the community and parents and, you know, kind of local industry need to help instill confidence in young people to pursue careers, um, you know, in STEM per se or whatever you know, sector that they inspire to be part of. So I think that's that's the first point, right? I think it needs to start at a very young age. Um, and then I suppose, you know, it needs to be about access, about setting the right targets, um, you know, to get people into these companies and into these industries, you know, have the right balance. So I think companies need to kind of set bold goals around that and manage that really well. Um, and then, you know, I think there's also the kind of growth side of things, right? And how you manage your attrition within organizations, but also how you think about hiring and how you think about, you know, what it is specifically that you're looking for in an individual. Like, you know, um, last year, I think, or this year, actually, UL launched a course in conjunction with the Collison Brothers of Stripe around immersive software engineering. And it's kind of based on this, I suppose, philosophy that, you know, to be a good engineer, it's not necessarily the case that you need four years of theoretical experience, right? That a lot of it could actually be like immersive experience and on the job experience. And I think, you know, as, as you kind of think about that as a way in which, you know, people are positioned from a skill set perspective, the same is true of people who are already in industries. You know, there's lots of opportunity to like learn on the job, 
to kind of, you know, spread your wings a little bit across different departments and to kind of have like growth within, you know, your organization and kind of move functions. And I think as people are really thinking about, you know, the future and the fact that there is so much uncertainty, I think, you know, understanding like what the kind of key skills are, you know, for individuals and what the kind of, I suppose, broader skill set should look like and fostering that as opposed to like focusing really on one person's CV or one person's set kind of, you know, previous experience. I think that's also like really important. I think that could bring a lot of value. And for, you know, managers and organizational leaders, how can they also kind of foster that kind of environment as well within the business? So I think there's like some, you know, really good ways in which you can help and encourage people to see the value in themselves. I think mentoring is really important. You know, I found that hugely valuable when I was starting out. And actually, all through my career, I find that incredibly valuable. And um, being honest, but like mentoring kind of takes a couple of different forms. So I think, you know, kind of senior mentoring, you know, kind of that early stage in your career is really important. And then as you grow kind of throughout your career, maybe peer mentoring becomes important because sometimes you need people who work alongside you to like tell you, listen, you're great, you're capable, you should go for this, you know, and like to be encouraged kind of laterally. I think that's such an empower- a powerful part of kind of your work life and I think friendships at work are really important they allow you to maybe see the opportunity in yourself and then I think you know reverse mentoring is also really but it's this idea that you know leaders can learn from their juniors and you know people can have really frank and candid conversations with leadership around what it is that isn't working and maybe what some of their opportunities for growth are in terms of how they manage and how they you know foster cultures within teams and I think especially for the DEI space that's huge being able to really share your honest opinion with you know a member of or a senior person within an organization to say listen like this is how I feel about this or this isn't working for me for these reasons and not feel like there'll be any sort of repercussion I think that would be huge you know and everyone's learning from everyone all the time anyway I think that's key. I'm fascinated by this idea of reverse mentoring. You know, it's almost like um, when I started off my career, I was always kind of told like, you know, learn from your manager, respect your manager. But I love this idea of you as as a reportee can actually mentor your manager. I really love that idea. I think it's great. And I think, you know, there's so much talk around Gen Z and millennials and people are kind of being labeled by their, you know, birth year quite a bit. Um, and this kind of generational, you know, I suppose it's almost like a divide sometimes in how people view work, you know. Um, well, I don't know if that's true, but I think it's one that's sometimes referenced, you know. So I think how are you really going to know like what motivates? or what inspires, you know, Gen Z or millennial or whatever generation comes next, I should know. If you don't talk to them about it, if they can't be honest with you, you know, how, how are you ever going to fully understand? And I think as well, like I even see this in my own job, you know, like some of the graduates that we even have an IDA, they're so like in touch with, you know, newer technology trends and, you know, um, newer opportunities, et cetera, you know, that even like, you know, people like me I think I'm a millennial I think I am I was born in the early 80s but um you know aren't aware of right so like there's just so much you can learn from 
from younger people and from people who are, I guess, in some respects, junior to you, because the world is changing so fast and people are keeping a pace at different levels, you know? Oh, totally. If we're thinking about making people feel accepted and heard, you almost need to you need to be open to them giving you that feedback and guidance on how you can help them feel accepted and heard. So it's almost like reverse mentoring is something that you as an individual can do to help impact the broader culture within your organization, that you can help share, uh, like make, ch- uh, make changes and advise on how your organization can be more inclusive. Yeah. And, you know, I remember like a long time ago, somebody saying to me that mentoring shouldn't always be comfortable. And I think that's, you know, at all stages of mentoring, like quite important. Like I remember, you know, I had a mentor in my back, you know, my early days at Microsoft and I used to be so nervous about the sessions and she would say things to me like, you know, what are you, are you saving? Like, what are you doing with your shares? You know, things like that. And it was just so over my head at the time. I was like literally just trying to focus on not going into my overdraft so I could go out on a Saturday night in Dublin, you know? So I was like, wow, we were like at such different kind of stages, but she was so right. And, you know, some of what she taught me um, like was so important. So I think, you know, mentoring, like sometimes in, there needs to be an element of like constructive criticism in it and an opportunity to kind of feel a little bit, you know, maybe like out of your depth, I think, um, you know, in terms of what it is that you're learning or how you're comparing yourself to kind of peers across the organization and people need to almost call that out to you, I think. So I think a mentor is like a really good way to do that. Um, but I think when it comes to reverse mentoring, of course, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. And that's a good thing. Like, it's honest if it's uncomfortable, right? You have to be, you have to find some way to be, you know, what, what is it the tagline is right now? Comfortable with uncomfortable situations. So um, so I think that's kind of really key too. I love that. I love the idea of getting uncomfortable with with uncomfortable situations. It's always it's it's almost like that thing of uh, you know, the some of the best career advice I ever got was like if you're not if you're not slightly uncomfortable, you need to get uncomfortable. Um it was like one of the, it was basically saying to me it's like as soon as you're comfortable, you're basically sitting back and not going for opportunities that are available to you you know yeah um, and a mentor doesn't have to necessarily be like you know a friend you know like yeah you should have a great relationship and all but it needs to be somebody who's like challenging you you know um and you know it's not somebody you're just having a cup of tea with and a kind of chinwag you know um so I think that's like really key you know it's just like allowing yourself to feel uncomfortable and then, you know, understand what you can do from there. This has been such a great conversation. We've spoken a lot about supporting women in STEM. Actually, thinking of the term STEM, because I know this is something that you and I have actually discussed before, but STEM to me as an acronym just feels a bit rigid and uninspiring. Um, Are we in in need of a rebrand to attract to attract a wider pool of people to, I hate to say it, to STEM. I I think it's definitely the wrong term for teenagers and the youth anyway, for sure. You know, I think for those of us 
you know, kind of grow up with it and know it from an industry perspective. It has just its own resonance. But yeah, I think for like kids in secondary school, it just has a boring um, ring to it. And it's not boring at all. It's like so fascinating and it's so huge. You know, I think a lot of young people think like maths and science, which is obviously core fundamentals in STEM, right? So you can't avoid that. But, you know, even if you're going to career fairs or, you know, even the like really great work that groups do, you know, across Ireland, like, you know, is there a way you could kind of brand it a little bit differently? And then could that give you an opportunity to also brand technology as an opportunity in a different way? You know, and kind of say, hey, listen, you don't necessarily have to be wearing a Star Wars t-shirt and coding all day, you know? So yeah, I think that's something that could really do with some thinking, you know? Oh yeah. Especially as like, you know, we think of, you know, Gen Z and that kind of thing coming through. It, it almost feels like that they'll probably actually come up with a better rebrand than we yeah, ever get, Maybe that's it. We need to let them rebrand it. Because <laughs> they're so, I think people, you know, God, I sound like a granny saying this, but I think, you know, some of the young people that I've seen come through, like on graduate programs and different things over the last while, they're so creative. Like they're so naturally creative. And I guess because they've grown up with like technology always, right? Um, and, you know, they just have like such great minds when it comes to space. So, yeah, so I do think there's some like incredible, you know, visionists and, uh, architects and technologists in, in the you know being grown or homegrown across like you know across the globe and especially in Ireland um but yeah so maybe it's up to them to shape the industry and shape how the industry sells themselves but we definitely have a job to do right now to like correct some misconceptions though and to encourage people to consider STEM which is unfortunately the tag <laughs> <laughs> I, I... Well, I think this is, I think firstly, you know, from all of your advocacy work, I can, I can see that this is something that not only are you kind of talking about, but you are really encouraging and taking action on, which is just wonderful to see, um, you know, for, for the audience listening in that are, you know, either inspired to learn more about the work that you're doing, uh, you know, where can they, where can they find out more about what you're doing and even just, some of these areas that you're working on god this is like the this is the part where i start to kind of cringe a little bit but um but i suppose you know yeah like if if you're interested in the work idea you're doing obviously follow idea on social media you know there's some like great great things happening in the fti space and great opportunities as well so i would definitely encourage everyone to follow idea both on twitter and linkedin and then you know i kind of use linkedin as my main I suppose kind of social media um outlet and I, I have a Twitter account too but it's less active. So yeah so please like connect with me, follow me. If there's anything that um yeah that I've spoken about today that I would like to talk about as well I'd be delighted. Like I said earlier, I love chatting to people. <laughs> you know, um so please if there's you know any kind of area specifically people would like to let, learn more about um contact me through LinkedIn I'll get back. Amazing. And then, of course, you're also writing for NASDAQ as well. Yes. So uh, are there are there anything that we should look out for there in the near future? Um, I have a couple of areas um, coming up for NASDAQ. This month, I'm actually focusing on mental health at work, which has been a really fascinating topic to uh, research, I have to tell you. 
um, because October is Mental Health Awareness Month. But yeah, I suppose over the next couple of months, really, I, I'm trying to kind of focus the pieces on, you know, the workplace and the future of work. Um, and I like to, again, where I can really kind of zone in on topics surrounding women um, and DEI. So, uh, so yeah, so, you know, there's some kind of interesting uh, drafts, I suppose, um, <laughs> ahead, but... But yeah, so um, and then uh, obviously coming up to International Women's Day this year, where the world is like really, really back to normal, especially here in New York. Um, we're going to do some uh, kind of co-host some events. So if there's any kind of women in the technology space in New York or, you know, surrounding areas that would like to kind of be part of those, please contact me because we'd love to welcome you in. And even if you're not in technology, if you're just, you know, an Irish woman in New York who's interested, um, reach out. So, yeah, more to follow there as well. Amazing stuff. Excellent. And, you know, when those articles go live, please do let us know. We'll make sure to share them with the digital Irish community as well. Thanks um, so much, Dave. But Gemma, for now, just want to thank you so, so much again. Uh, of course, like, you know, as I mentioned at the uh, towards the start between IDA, NASDAQ, your advocacy work, and of course, uh, being a mother to two young ones, um, I, I can only imagine how, uh, how busy you are. So taking this time out is just really appreciated. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and best of luck with it. And that is it for this episode. Thank you so much again to Gemma Allen. Very inspiring to hear the work that she's doing in advocacy and discussing workplace culture and the future of work really enjoyed this conversation thank you so much again Gemma uh, here is a sneak peek of our next episode which will be coming very soon you know failure can be something to add to your CV in a particular business because you have been bitten you understand the pitfalls and you know ultimately you probably learn more from, from failure than success so I think that all ties into getting a business off the ground, getting the fundamentals right, your cash flow, your accounting, your marketing, everything. So yeah, it all feeds in. This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Irish Network. To find out more about the Digital Irish Network, check out www.digitalirish.com. On the website, you'll also find out more information about networking, events, news, and much, much more, all with a little bit of an Irish flair.